0: Well, I'm going to have to get a new hobby, because Jennifer Lynn now stole neuroscience. Did you guys hear that last week? Yeah, so I have to get a new hobby now. It's going to be something with gasoline engines, I don't know. So um, so I don't have any science for you this morning, as much fun as that would have been. But let's open our Bibles to Matthew 21. We are still in Matthew 21. And I feel a little, any liturgically oriented people here, I feel, this is the wrong time of year to be looking at the beginning to Holy Week, but here we are. And so we're going to dig through. Um, so the, the, the symbolism that we're about to encounter this next few days or months or weeks, depending on how you read the chronology in the book of Matthew, is really, really important. He's riding into town today, and this is where we're going to pick up in verse, verse 1. Matthew 21, verse 1. I'm going to read all the way through 17. They said never do that to a crowd, but I'm going to do that to a crowd because we're going to hold these two things together today, okay? There's two things going on here. Verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, or Bethage, Bethphage, on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there and her colt by her side. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Verse 6, the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and while others cut branches from the from the trees and spread them on the road, the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Okay, take a breath. We're going to go on to the next verse here. Verse 12. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, My house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame come to him at the temple. And he came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant, of course, right? Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants? Lord, Lord, you have called forth your praise. And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany where he spent the night. Okay, so two stories, relatively common in our vernacular within the church. If you've been around the church a while, you've probably heard these two stories. Uh, But two stories not often held in proper textual tension, right? So these come one right after another in the book of Matthew. It's interesting, they're usually analyzed in isolation, but Mark, or, or Matthew seems to suggest these things happen back to back. Now if you follow Mark's chronology, like Jen spoke from last week, um, Mark seems to put one sundown and a sunrise in between these two events but we're going to do what Matthew does here for whatever reason we're going to hold these two things together and we're going to try to see what what's going on here okay um, we're going to try to understand them in tandem so this is the moment Jesus has been preparing for this triumphal entry has been spoken of for the last some three years to his disciples right this should start to click at this point he's been wearing this point out and they're usually hushing him and telling him to do other more kingly things, and he's on to the suffering that awaits him in Jerusalem. And so here they are, going to make their entrance. And I think here's here's what I think. We're about to see the ultimate unveiling of symbols where the heart of the Father is fully revealed towards the world. What we're about to see go down in Jerusalem during the next week or month is going to be really the ultimate package of symbols of what this whole thing is about. The details always matter when you're tracking with Jesus, but they matter differently now because he's measuring every breath because the cross is coming fast, okay? That's kind of the backdrop. Now listen to this. The journey from Hosanna, Hosanna, right? That here he comes, this is the one who's gonna, you know, set up the throne of David again. Hosanna, Hosanna to give us Barabbas are the two bookends of the human responses to the ministry of Jesus. And they are both our voice. And let me explain you what I mean. He rides into town on a donkey and we're the first to say, this is the one. And then stuff goes down, and we're the first to say, any, any, anybody but this guy. Okay, so if you're not familiar with the Holy Week story, um, this triumphal entry is the high point of expectation. But by the time the week is over, when Jesus is there, they're kicking him around between the Roman authorities and the, and the Sanhedrin trying to figure out, how do, we, how do we remove the head from the shoulders of this whacked out man? They're kicking the ball back and forth. Eventually it comes down. Pilate says, "Okay, listen. I'm going to set you. F- I'm going to give you one prisoner this week because it's customary during Passover. What do you want, Barabbas or Jesus?" And the crowd says, "Barabbas." And that's us. Okay. So what I'm suggesting is is is, is hard to swallow. I'm suggesting you don't pick a side and pick a voice yet, and understand that these two responses are, reside within our own response to Jesus. Does that make sense? Okay. This ought to give us some wiggle room. To sort of keep stumbling in the direction of Jesus' lordship in a way where we can actually say with credibility that Jesus is lord of everything. Because we can't necessarily at every moment concerning everything in our lives. So you follow what I'm saying? So these are the bookends. Hosanna, Hosanna. Give us Barabbas. Something's going down this week that's going to put it all on its head. By week, I don't mean this week. I mean holy week, Okay. These are our, both are our responses, and they're both our simultaneous response to the lordship of Christ. We are the tortured ones being converted on the way. That's us. We are the ones who are yielding our will and fighting him for the wheel at the very same time. Pause. Is it just me, or is that our story? Is that our story? It's like it comes in layers, right? Right, ogres? It comes in layers. We peel one back, and we think, we mean it this time, Jesus is lord. And then there's another layer, and we realize that same exhale that Jesus is Lord of everything comes with an inhale of a deeper awareness that, oh my gosh, there's a whole nother room in the basement of my soul that he's not yet seen. Okay, so let's just position ourselves in that space. Okay, let's break this down a piece at a time. Let's talk about this donkey, okay? Not my preferred translation of that word, but certainly the most acceptable in church. <laughs> I had a lot of fun thinking about how we could go around that tray, but I decided I need to match tray's propriety and bring my game up. Sorry, love you, Trey. R.T. France writes, um, uh, one of my favorite scholars on Matthew, kind of guy that I've been kind of following through as we look at Matthew, he says, this is at once, this entry point. Now, Jesus riding into the city on the, on the back of a donkey, this is at once a demonstration, a fulfillment event, and a sign of the future. Something very important is going on here. Now, it feels to me like Jesus had this prepared in advance. Right? That he had set up some logistics, that he did a website and says, okay, you bring the salad, you bring the potato salad, and I'll bring the napkins. And like, you set the donkey out and make sure it's the right one. It sounds to me like he had arranged this. Now, we don't know if this is necessarily the case, but that's what it feels like. And the reason I think that is because I like to fantasize about what must have been the head conversation of the disciple who was sent ahead to prepare, to tell some complete and utter stranger that, hey, my dude needs a donkey. And oh, by the way, when he says, that's my donkey, he said, well, the Lord needs it, and he'll bring it back. I'm thinking, if I'm that disciple chosen, I want to hear that conversation. Let's say it's two disciples. Now this is a verbal conversation. I want to hear that. Can you imagine one of the most notorious hikers of his day needs to ride into town on the back of a donkey? Like, does this make sense at all? Does anybody, can anybody reconcile this, or is it just me? You know, it's probably my ADD. But I just, like, I can't get my head around this. And what I keep imagining is a Jimmy Fallon, Will Ferrell, Ferrell skit, right? I just, this how it, that's how it, these would be the two disciples walking along the way talking about how Jesus now all of a sudden needs a donkey. He's been hiking all over the planet for three years. Now he needs to ride. Like, anyway. But apparently there's, this is a completely insignificant detail because none of this is covered in Scripture. So, oh, well, that's just my head. You might say that Jesus did specifically what? Zachariah 9, nine said that he would do by riding in, your king riding to you on the back of a donkey. The text supports certainly this idea, but maybe uh, he was acting in a specific way to convince the masses that he was the one. But here's my problem with that. Jesus cherry picks this messianic prophecies, right? There's just as many things talking about him cracking the sky in glory as there is with him riding in on a donkey. And so why does he pick that? And how could the crowd have known? We look back and we say, Silly crowd, you should have known that was Jesus because the donkey, right? You know, But go ahead, go back and read Zechariah. There's a bunch of other imagery that it seems almost impossible to reconcile. How is, it he, how is he actually fulfilling that too? And so we have to do all this crazy gymnastic work to figure it out. So what troubles me is that we assume the crowd should have seen this coming. The only ones in town that would have known this symbol were the very ones who within a couple of hours are looking to take his head off. And so what I want to suggest to us is that he's up to some big business here, packaged in a very simple, almost easy to overlook set of symbols in an entry, okay? Here's what I think we can say. The symbolism of the donkey is used intentionally to create a stark contrast to that of a general riding into town victorious on the back of some barely controlled steed, you know, that he went to war and he came back victorious, the... the, the polar opposite of the symbol of a working man's animal to a war general on the back of a horse, I think is, is the point. You get what I'm saying? The beast of burden versus this magnificent creature and the shock hyphen awe, the shock and awe of Jesus coming in as a king. Now remember, he's going to throw down the gauntlet and there is absolutely no question that he is king of everything. But think about that sitting on the back of a donkey that had never been written that was borrowed that had a tiny little donkey riding ne- or walking next to it think about that as we will see not long after jesus enters the city it's clear that he has a major political message to drop right this is a big october surprise he's going to drop let's not confuse jesus with any other religious figure offering gentle suggestions about how we might live this is war okay He's up to business of cosmic proportions and he comes wrapped in majestic power. Pure, unadulterated, unstoppable power, but power that lays its life down. So I know you're bored with my brain, but the best mental image that I can come up with this in our sort of context is that stinking little black Fiat in Washington, D.C. You know what I'm talking about? I can see the Pope right now as the plane's landing in Washington saying, hey guys, as soon as we land, y'all run down to the Fiat dealership and tell them I need to borrow a brand new black Fiat that's never been driven. Make sure the the windows roll down meet meet because I'm going to show empire what power really looks like meet meet beep beep. You follow me? It's a pretty powerful image of I think what Jesus is trying to put forward. We're being sucked into the vortex. That's not even funny this week after the tornado that came from San Marcos moving its way north. Anybody in the path of that? Anybody spend Friday morning half in the closet and half by the radio? Yeah. Uh, some of us were more effective. I think we dodged it pretty narrowly, but some of us were, didn't manage to dodge it. There'll be more details about how we can help those people out. But, but we're being sucked into the vortex of Holy Week, right, or Holy Month, to however you look at it. What we are about to see is the most seismically significant display of power ever seen by mankind. You think, well, you're exaggerating. No, no, hang on with me. Hang on. This is tectonic movement we're looking at here, right? This moves everything. This is the tectonic truth about what love actually look like, looks like. The immediacy of its prophetic demand that the outsider be allowed back in and the scandalous upturning of religious establishment and sycophantic political allegiance. He's going to turn it all on its head. And he's going to do it in the most simple way. He's got work to do, and we've been following him, so let's let's let's, let's hone in now. Like I said a few weeks ago, I think Jesus is trying to offer us the bystanders, the crowd, the Hosanna to give us Barabbas people that are watching his movements. He's trying to offer us some insights that will reinform the narrative loops in our mind that give us the perspective on how we look at the world, right? By the time this is over, we will have a different insight about who is God, what is love, who's in, who's out, what do we believe about ourselves, what do we believe about the Father God and his Son. He's going to change all of it, okay? But as always, to believe or to hear those loops, we have to power our own loops down. And therein lies the rub. So today what we have is a conflict of the imagery of power. What does power look like? And Jesus would say, it rides on the back of a donkey. And you can feel the conflict instantly because that is not what power looks like in my mind. Right? Am I the only one? The work we have to do is to trace his steps in the area of redefining power What's on display here is not the kind of power that doesn't possess the ability to act in its own defense. defense. This is the power that willingly chooses to lay its life down. We're talking about the power that undermines fake power, right? It overthrows empire. This is the power of the most decisive variety. This is voluntary defenselessness. Think about it. You can't imprison this. You can't beat this out. And oh boy, are we about to see what happens to the body of Jesus when you try. But you can't torture this out. You can't take this out. You can't demand that this stop. You can't shut this down. This is power of a completely subversive variety. And isn't it ironic that one of the powers in the game here trying to snuff the life of Jesus out is Rome? Rome? And within not too many years, Rome will become, for the generations, the seat of Christianity and of Christian influence around the globe. Now, that's no longer the case, but for the greater part of two millennia, it was the case. Isn't it ironic? Said Alanis Morissette. (laughs) 90s music is still best. Huh? Don't Don't you think? A little too. I like the part about the guy who's afraid to fly gets on the airplane, anyway. Okay, so you're tracking with me. So what I'm trying to communicate to you, and I hope it's working in my impossibly green pearl snap today that Trey said was too bright, but his sunset looked good, so. Right there, style, right there. <clears throat> what I'm trying to communicate to you is that there is something cataclysmically important in this packaging of symbols, okay? Almost always missed. Almost always glanced over the primary fight that Jesus is picking here, you might say, is with the religious establishment. And we're going to see him do that. The very next thing he does is move there. But he's picking a fight with every system that enslaves the masses. Make no mistake, he picks a fight with Rome as well. And Rome is listening. Rome is watching. He will not leave the city in one piece. Now notice, he sleeps outside town in Bethany, right? Because all of the villagers, all of the, the uh, pilgrim. Pilgrims, I guess you could say that were in Jerusalem for Passover we're, we're sleeping outside of town so he makes that move but he doesn't leave the greater Jerusalem Metroplex except on an elevator straight to heaven at the end of this series of events okay by the time he's done hell itself will be defeated. He will set us all free in a bold frontal assault on the power of darkness. this will be his frontal assault on guilt, on shame, on empty religion, on neglect of the outsider, on self-righteousness, on ignorance, He's going to frontally assault all of that. And he does not ride on a donkey because he's anything less than the king of kings, notice. But his way leads to humiliation and servanthood and somehow dances around immediate public glory. What do you do, question, when following Jesus forces you to swallow that bitter pill, that jagged little pill? one of my go-to favorite live albums of all time, sorry. What do you do when following Jesus? What do you do if you don't even know the music of Alanis Morissette? Come on, you guys. Too much Chris Tomlin. You need some more Alanis Morissette. Busted, right? What do you do when following Jesus feels like a triumphal entry and it ends up being this broken way of, are you serious? I've got to give that up now. I've got to let that person go. I've got to let them off... Damn off the hook, like, okay, so I'm trying to set us up here. What do you do when that happens? Are we the ones who slink out of town backwards? We just kind of back out of Jerusalem while he's not looking because, like, this whole thing doesn't fit? My narrative loop is doing war with this symbol, and I can't figure out what's up. Jen said it last week. We're clearly not on an upward highway here if we're following Jesus, right? This is the road we have chosen. And this is a downward spiral to the bottom rung where the only thing we can say is, Lord, have mercy. So if this was your career choice to a path of glory, wah, 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 right? That's, boy, you're on the wrong bus. So now let's turn. So, so, so Jesus coming in town on a donkey, right? Hold space for that. Now let's turn to this next little sequel in his triumphal first moves in town, the cleansing of the temple. And maybe we don't need to reread it. But he enters the temple and he goes straight to the court of the Gentiles and he starts cleaning house. Just keep that in your head. He goes from this weird scene riding on the back of a donkey to a previously unridden donkey, a working man's tool, straight to the heart of religious the religious power structure, and don't mistake this for happenstance, this is bold intention. The Old Testament prophets of uh, Malachi and Zechariah had already told us that the Messiah would come and cleanse the temple, right? And so what most people understood that to mean was that he was going to come and cleanse it of the defilement from, from foreign conquerors who had defiled the temple, right? you If, you, if you're a historian, you would know the story of... Uh, Epiphanes and the Pompeii, they came and they did awful things within the temple. And so the part of the Old Testament prophecy about the Messiah coming would be that he would cleanse the temple. So this again, not just riding in on a donkey, this cleaning the temple is a very intentional symbol that Jesus is appropriating to get a point across. But not only was he cleansing the temple from defilement, he was cleansing it from empty worship of the faithful who went about it completely wrong and and just missed the heart of God completely. The scenes take place in the court of the Gentiles. Now, I'm not a temple scholar. We have a few resident temple scholars that could help you with this more. But here's what I do know. Uh, It's the area that surrounds the temple proper, and it's like a sort of marketplace under the colonnades around the temple, okay? And so this is where they would transact business so that you could get what you needed to offer the sacrifice to atone for your sins. Court of the Gentiles. What's a Gentile? is not Jew, right? Court of the outsiders, court of us the outsiders, okay? It's not terribly obvious that Jesus was angry at the merchants or if he was angry at the worshipers. We project on this lots of things. What we do know is the whole arrangement he's going to call into question. This is what Jesus this is Jesus toppling the whole Now hang on here. He's going to topple the entire sacrificial system in a fell swoop right here. His whole life is pointing to this. He's going to walk in and he's going to attach some action to what he had been talking about for a long time because now the very temple of God stands before the temple on earth and says, this is the temple and you can take this apart in three days and God himself will rebuild it. And nobody could possibly understand what he meant. Soon enough, the temple, the vessel on earth that bears the presence of God will be the mysterious assembly, the body of Christ as it gathers around the world. But for this moment, you've got The temple of God, the man, Jesus Christ, standing in front of the temple in the court of the Gentiles saying, get all of this out of here. You've missed the point. This is major religious reform with a special focus, and I love this, on demanding that the historic access points to the outsiders be cleared again. Because if you read carefully, there was always a place figured into the plan of God for the Gentile and the outsider. This was never a nationalist system. This was never designed to be about the Jews. This was designed to be about all mankind. Go back and read the Abrahamic covenant. He meant business and this was a cannon shot across the bow. Hold these two scenes in tension for just a moment, can you? The humble image of Jesus riding on a donkey into town and the assertion of supreme messianic authority over the temple complex itself. Do you see this? You see what he's doing? So there you have it. Jesus simultaneously sends shivers up the spine of evil enslaving empires while welcoming children and sinners. He rides a symbol of menial labor and common humanity into town like a simple man then he goes straight to the center of religious establishment and throws the whole thing on its head while clearing access for us, the outsiders, in the court of Gentiles. This is a mysterious man and these are mysterious moves, right? This requires a really dark minor key soundtrack. Somebody got that. Woo. This is a misunderstood. This is a misrepresented. This is a completely overlooked Messiah because it's packaged wrong. It's packaged wrong, and we choke on the package, right? And there's safety in this narrative because I'm not an empire, are you? I'm not a, I'm not a religious establishment, are you? So maybe we, I mean, this is easy to read and say, yeah, you know, it's Jesus doing his thing. Wouldn't that be nice? Here's what I think. Holy Week is going to force us to reckon with a few things. Remember, we are the people caught between the Hosanna and the Give Us Barabbas. That's us. We're going to have to square up with the loftiness of simplicity. We're going to have to square up with the majesty of humility. We're going to have to figure out the danger of building nationalistic exclusivistic system around God's redemptive activity, because we all do that. We're going to have to Understand the near constant prophetic challenge of the religious scaffolding placed around any simple message of Jesus. Because the moment good news drops, we build a system and we protect it because we don't ever want it to go away. And without fail, that system will have to collapse in order for the good news to remain good. We're going to have to square up our understanding of power and make it fit into the whole of meekness. Power under restraint. We're going to have to rethink leadership until servanthood fits and we're going to have to understand love as sacrifice. And so, where is Jesus offering you a triumphal entry wrapped in humility and suffering? So the beautiful thing about preparing to speak the word to a group of people who are sold out followers of Jesus Christ is I know he's already been up to some big-time shenanigans in your own heart. I want to join that right now. What is he asking you to do that feels a whole lot less like a triumphal entry than you were hoping? And how are you navigating that disappointment in the gap? You know, the way we're on, (laughs) the road leads from hip-hip-hooray to OMG, he just said that. That's where we are. Another question when has he invited you to join him on this way that descends into taking ownership now watch following this man is going to force you into taking ownership of your own mistakes and your own magic right your own immaturity and your own high calling your own defensiveness and your own hidden divine nature There's tension here, right? When has the preservation of your own skin at the expense of others been called to bow at the feet of this mysterious man who says, trust me as we go through these moves? Because I know he has. And I know some of us are sitting on it. And I know some of us are looking at that double black diamond thinking, I ain't skiing that. Like, mm mm-mm. Right? Did you ever get on a, a green slope that was labeled wrong? Or there's no account on the little symbols for like an ice storm. This happened to me once. Not a great skier, but I tried hard. Got on a mountain. It took me about two hours to get off. Right? It's kind of like the way of Jesus, isn't it? Like if I'd have known this, dude, that chocolate in the lodge was really, really nice. Like I don't have to prove anything. (laughs) But you get you get coaxed into this way of Jesus, and it's so simple, and it's so approachable, and it's a dude on a donkey, and it's palm fronds, and it's like, yeah, Hosanna! This is the one. And then he's going to drop the nuclear bomb and everything in your life is going to be a wasteland. And you're going to have to sit in the middle of that waste and trust that he is Lord. Because from the ashes will emerge the only thing that matters, that we will spend our life seeking, that we will never find until we sit in the ashes and watch it grow from that rich, fertilized space of utter and total loss. Okay, I'm getting super heavy. We need to lighten it up. But I know he's been talking to you about this. And so how do we as a people respond today with a yes, Lord, yes, Lord, we will follow you? How do we do that? What if that was a question? What if it was a question we actually meant to have answered? We do this at ANC. Don't panic if you're not from here. We actually ask questions that need answers. What does that mean for you? Is anybody in this crowd willing to put voice to that? That, it It would be bold, I'll admit, I'm famous for unclear questions. Say it again. Yeah. So I ask very unclear questions that offer people lots of space to, like, not say anything. (laughs) What would be an example of what God is asking us to do that is just such a downward road of hard that we're trying to convince ourselves it's not him? What would be an example of that? survival tactics. Things that got us to where we are today, served us well, it's time to lay them down. Does that that resonate with anybody? I can't tell you how many conversations I've had precisely around that. So doing that is perfectly understandable because that's how you survived an awful system, but now it's time to lay it down. And this is going to be a hard road and it's going to mean the cross. Because you're going to have to give away the luxury of being hurt. And you're gonna to have to find freedom, and that's gonna hurt like crazy, and it's gonna be terrifying. That resonates with me, Christy. You nailed you nailed me on that one. Anybody else? What might be? Yes. The patience and the waiting, the process, right? We're all about the outcome. You know it reminds me of people who want to want to learn to speak Spanish. They don't actually want to learn to speak. They want to they want to know Spanish, but they don't want to learn to speak Spanish. You ever meet people like that? Oh yeah, I want to learn No, you don't want to learn Spanish. That's going to take you 10 years. Blink blink. No, I meant I want to I want to speak it. Well, of course you do. Yeah. I don't want the process. I just want the the outcome. Yeah. So we've been sick for a month. You guys know this. Um I'm gonna get real, okay, so take a deep breath. Sickness for me is the utter and complete loss of control. When your child comes downstairs clutching their neck, clawing their face at their throats about the clothes and they have no idea how to breathe and the doctor tells you, oh, you're fine, I freak out. Like, it's the ultimate definition of hopeless, helplessness, loss of control for me. So what do I do when I lose control? How do you survive a total loss of control? What do you do? You throw it down, you put the gloves on, and you start swinging haymakers, right? It's what happens in my family when somebody's sick? Everybody gets hurt. Why? Because I can't control my own response to the loss of control. And Jesus is asking me, he's whispering to me, saying, come here, follow me down here. This path is going to mean you're going to have to welcome the loss of control and the trust in God. We fought for four weeks, very nearly four weeks, three and a half weeks, to figure out what was going on in our house. It, it was bronchitis, it was asthma, it was strep throat, it was all of those things. The doctors had no idea what was going on. Six days of 103.5 fever of my littlest child. She weighs less now than she weighed last year at this time. She's skin and bones. I'm freaking out. I'm saying, give me Barabbas, give me any other answer, give me anything at this point, because trusting Jesus is not working for me, it's not working. So there I put something out there that that's what I'm dealing with. Somebody else. What is this way of Jesus gonna cost you? What is he asking you to lay down? I have no idea why I'm asking you this question. Other than it'll be meaningful to you if, you if you say something. Laurel. Can you say that like with the voice of an archangel? Yeah. Does that mean I can't go to the parish anymore and see live shows? <laughs> Why did that sound like you had an answer, but you just were not willing to say it? <laughs> oh yeah, I love it. Somebody else over here, yeah. Plans. plans. Yeah, so you hit about seventy-five percent of the crowd, I'm guessing, right? Does anybody just brain just like, oh God, he didn't say plans, did he? Oh, I love my plans. <laughs> I need you. You know how much time. You know how much time we spend asking God to join us in our plans. And I just think, I just think. You know, the world's in a t- tight spot. But how much worse would it be if He actually answered those prayers and flowed through our plans? Ooh. I actively pray sometimes that God doesn't answer those kinds of prayers, until we learn to pray differently, which is, "Let it be unto me according to Your word," those sacred and high words of the Virgin Mary, to the response of the Holy Spirit. So, yeah, plans. Somebody back here. Who else said that? Yeah, Mike. Basically everything. everything. Come on, Mike. (laughs) Cut us a little slack here, buddy. Yeah. 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 That's right. Stanley Hauerwas, one of the great theologians at Duke great, great, great theologian says, it takes us a lifetime to actually be able to say with credibility, Jesus is Lord. We say it so easy, but we don't know what that means. Yeah. Okay. So we're digging in and we're heading into some really powerful exchanges, right? Between Jesus and the religious establishment, between Jesus and the political power. Jesus is picking fights all over now. He's done prepping the guys. They don't seem very well prepped, but here we go. We're rolling into town. It's that big opening. You know, the curtains are coming back. And the crowd is looking, right? And he's going to do this big IPO and it's going it's to cost us everything that we've got in the game to follow him for this next week or this next month in the... And again, I don't mean we're going to be done with Matthew in a week. My God, it would be so nice. But we're going to be done with Matthew probably sometime in 2017. We'll have a new president by the time we're done with Matthew. But let's hang on because let me just tell you what I generally do. I'm there for the entry. And when he starts flipping stuff on its head... I'm looking at the collateral damage of that and I'm backing out of town. There's a lot of ways out of town. I know them all. Well, as soon as the sun goes down, I'm backing down that alleyway, I'm out of town because this guy is unlike anything that I've ever followed. And I don't know if you can associate with that or you can, can uh, connect with that, but this is gonna cost us everything. Every scrap of security, every scrap of, of knowing what comes next, every shred of control, it's all going to be put on the, on the table if we're going to follow this. Jesus, stand to your feet with me.